0: Turn with me, if you will, to Colossians, chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 2 to 6 this morning. This is the Word of God. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to see what it is that you would teach us today. Lord, by the power of your Spirit, let us hear Let us understand, let us comprehend, and Lord, change our hearts. This is something we can't do ourselves, Father. It's only something that you can do by your power. Lord, I pray that if there's one here that doesn't know you and trust in Christ alone, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, for those of us who do trust in Christ alone, I pray that you would cause our faith to deepen, that we would see the greatness of the gospel and the glory of Christ in this coming year, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, it is a new year, and the new year is a time that we often consider our lives, that we think about uh, how we've lived in the past year, that we think about how we want to live in the coming year. It's a time when some of us make resolutions, some of us keep them, and some of us don't. Uh, it's a time when some of the same resolutions are made over and over again they're pretty typical and there's sometimes uncommon less typical resolutions but ultimately as we consider a a new year and what waits uh, before us what we're really thinking about is what are our priorities so we think about resolutions or we think about doing anything differently we're thinking about what matters? How do we want to live differently for the sake of whatever it is that is our priority? And if you want to know what your priorities are, all you have to do is look at how you spend your time, uh, how you spend your money, and something that no one else can look at, uh, what your thought life is like. There's other ways that you could consider your priorities, but those would be ways that you could kind of introspect and consider what is it that I value. So, the big question is, how are we spending our lives? The title of the sermon uh, today is, is lifted from the text here, The Best Use of the Time, in verse 5 of this passage. Paul uses this phrase, and that's how it's translated in the English Standard Version. It's similar in others, but it was really a term of exchange in, in Greek. It was a term of the marketplace, the best use of the time. It was, the idea that was being conveyed is that you found a good deal and you bought it up. Uh, you you found something that was really worth something, and you did everything to get it. And so let's consider that as we consider our lives. What is it that's important? What is the best use of the time in 2018 for each one of us? So. Uh as, as we look at this, I want us to think about urgency. I want us to think about the priorities in our lives. That's the context that we're going to look through. Um, but I also want to keep in mind where Paul was when he wrote this letter. Paul was in jail. Paul was in prison, not like the prisons that we have today. Paul was in chains. He was behind a locked door. It was probably filthy. It was probably smelly. And I have to ask myself, and I challenge you to consider, if you were in that situation, what kind of letter would you write? What would you say? Uh, what would you ask for prayer for? I know what I would be thinking about, but we look at the book of Colossians and we don't, uh, are, I don't see the things that I would have written. I would have been asking for release, for get me out of here, pray that God will you know, make the conditions better. Oh, it's awful. I would want people to empathize or sympathize with me if they had been in that situation and know how awful the situation was. But we don't see that. We see that Paul's priorities are quite different. And although we're going to look only at these five verses today, we're going to take time to kind of flip back and forth to see some of the things that he's already said in the book of Colossians. So I invite you, depending on how big your print is, you may have to turn back one page or two uh, as we go through the text this morning. But there's three things that we're going to see, three priorities. The priority of prayer, the priority of the gospel, and the priority of wisdom and grace. So I want us to look at those three things this morning. So the first thing is the priority of prayer Paul begins, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, this is the beginning of the end of the letter. Paul is wrapping things up. Uh, He's he's written what he has had to say. This is the beginning of the conclusion. He's instructed them on their identity in Christ. He's talked about their thought life. He's talked about relationships, among a number of other things. But one of the significant themes that we see in the book of Colossians is that of reconciliation. In chapter 1, verse 19, he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So this is some of the context that these closing remarks are coming from, this big theme of reconciliation being one. Now, the root meaning of this word steadfast, and it may be a different word in your translation depending on which one you're reading this morning, uh, but the idea behind the word steadfast is is really strength. Paul's Paul's saying be strong in prayer. Um, You might think of prayer as something as a last resort, or you may think of prayer as something that you're not very good at, You may even think of prayer as something that weak people do. Um, But I want to encourage you today that the strength that Paul is calling us to is not about our own strength, our own power. Um, When you think of prayer, what makes prayer strong? What gives prayer its power? It's not us, it's the one to whom we pray. I mean, our words are words. And we're called to pray fervently. And we're called to labor in prayer. And we're called to pray without ceasing. But the power in prayer is not in our effort, but in the one to whom we pray. It has everything to do with the one to whom we pray. So strength comes not from us, but from God. In addition to the idea of strength, though, is steadiness in this word. Steadiness uh, being uh, something that requires strength. Uh, If you've ever had the flu or uh, general anesthesia, you know that in your body, when your body is weak by those things, that your steadiness is kind of off when you first get up for the first time. Uh, I I remember just in the last year, had a, um, actually it was last year, but uh, had appendicitis, something very uh, common. Most people get to have that experience, I think, in life and get your appendix removed. And the day before it was happening, I was doing all kinds of work, labor, manual labor. And when that thing hit, and I went through the the experience of the anesthesia and so forth, when I got up, I was hobbling, you know, leaning on a pole, right? In order to be steady, we require strength. And so Paul is saying, be both strong and steady in prayer. But again, I want us to realize something. That steadiness comes not from ourselves, but the one to whom we pray. this is one of the interesting things about prayer. We're called to be strong. We're called to be steady. But it's actually prayer that makes us strong and makes us steady. We need to realize that as we come in prayer. So it's not about getting the right words. It's not learning how to pray well. It's not learning how to say the right things or impress other people with how we pray. But it is coming in faith and recognizing the one to whom we pray and finding the strength and the steadiness in him. The second thing he says is that we're to be watchful in prayer. Still in verse 2, we're to be watchful in prayer. This made me think of the, the, uh, it wasn't just old westerns, but, you know, old war movies. When you were under threat, you might have been told to sleep with one eye open, right? If you you face some kind of threat, don't close your eyes and go to sleep, but be ready. And um, the idea here is that we're to be alert, not to fall asleep. We're to pay attention, to know what's going on around us. So I want to challenge us to consider two things to keep one eye open to. We, when we pray, we, we keep an eye open to God's word and to God's world. Uh, one, we keep our, our, our eye open to, uh, to God's word. We pray according to God's word. If you look at the, the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that what describes most of your prayers? Is that what describes your prayer life? I know for me it doesn't. Uh, I might tack that on on the end, but most of what I'm praying for is, Lord, I really want my will to be done. These are the things that I want. This is my list, my needs, my wants, right? That's what we typically pray for. And then when we think of his kingdom coming, what I really want, if I'm honest, is I want my own kingdom of comfort and ease and convenience to come. How do I really pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done? We need God's word. We need to keep one eye open to God's word to inform our prayer lives, to guide our prayer lives. Because if it's just what we want and what we need, we become very self-centered. You can look at the prayers of David in the Psalms as a guidance for how to pray, or even sometimes the words to pray as you read through the Psalms. Think of the prayers of Paul. Uh, In in the epistles, we can look right here. Again, if you flip back one page probably in your Bible to the beginning, he describes to the Colossians in verse 9 of chapter 1 how he's been praying for them. This was convicting to me. I hope it is both convicting and and encouraging and challenging to you to pray this way. He says that he's been asking God that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's a lot of guidance there for how we can pray for ourselves. Lord, strengthen us according to these words, how we can pray for our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our neighbors, pray this way for each other. Another way we can keep an eye on God's word is by knowing and remembering truth. If you look in chapter three chapter 3 and verse 1 in Colossians, um, that that we pray according to what's really happening. You know, our tendency in life is to kind of navel-gaze. You know, we look at ourselves and we consider all the bad things that are happening, and these are true and real things. You know, we we suffer in this life. The Lord told us that we would, Uh, but we can become very self-focused. And what Scripture does for us in guiding us in prayer is it reminds us of what the truth really is. And this is what Paul did for the Colossians here. Look in verse 1 of chapter 3. Don't, when you're praying, don't lose sight of the fact that you've been raised with Christ. You have been raised with Christ as a believer. Uh, verse, verse 3, that you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Verse 4, that we keep awake to what's coming, right? We have a future when Christ, who is your life, appears. Then you also will appear with him in glory. We have a future and a hope. God's word, keeping one eye open to God's word, informs us, keeps us grounded, keeps us corrected according to the truth. But we also need to keep an eye open to God's world. We need to have an eye open to the needs around us. What's going on? We need to know what other people's needs are. I always think in concentric circles, our, our closest people, family, friends, and so forth, our church, our community, a bigger circle, our neighbors, our co-workers, and then finally the world, the nations. What is God doing around the world in the global church? We need to make an effort to be informed so that we pray effectively, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, so we're to be steady in prayer. We're to be watchful in prayer. Thirdly, we're to be thankful in prayer. Uh, we talked about praying with an eye open. Sometimes when I think about thankfulness, I think of having to close my eyes, in a sense. Um, I don't mean sticking my head in the sand. I wouldn't encourage that. We need to be aware of what's, of what's happening. We need to be aware of truth. But there are things that I need to close my eyes to, uh, to comparing I need to stop comparing myself to other people because that stirs up envy and covetousness, what we read about this morning in the law of God. When I start comparing myself to other people, uh, this is one of the downsides of social media. I scroll through and I see all the wonderful lives of everybody and how happy everybody is. And I compare myself. Sometimes I need to close that out and close my eye to that to remember what I have to be thankful for. Sometimes I need to close my eye to bitterness to the lack of forgiveness in my own heart. I don't mean, again, sticking my head in the sand. I mean to stop being bitter, to stop lacking that forgiveness for others. I need to put some some things behind me and move on and let go of things that have happened in the past because what bitterness does is robs me of the joy of thankfulness. I need to close my eyes to, to Murphy's Law Christianity. You know, Murphy's Law is the idea that if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. And I'm I'm guilty of, of and I, I talking to other believers, This is a struggle, I don't think I'm the only one that's experiencing this. That you know, there are times in life where you can think, you know, we don't believe in bad luck, we don't believe in luck at all. It's reformed Christians, God's sovereign, but man, life is is rough and if things can go wrong, it will go wrong. We need to, to take that thinking and, and, and die to that, recognizing that God is faithful. That God is good, that God is sovereign, that He's in control. We don't live according to chance, to luck, to anything like that. There are times in life where it takes real concentration to be thankful. There are. It's sometimes it's just hard. When, when life hits you uh, right in the face, when, when difficult times come, it takes real concentration. But we do have so much to be thankful for. And thankfulness serves as kind of the guiding buoys in prayer to keep us from getting off track. I would say they're kind of guiding buoys in life uh, to keep us from getting off track, the, to keep us from the ship of life kind of going ashore. Thankfulness are those guiding, uh, guiding buoys. So consider what Paul wrote about thankfulness as we look back in chapter 3. We keep flipping back to chapter 3, look back in chapter 3. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule, in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the priority of prayer, we're to be steady, steadfast, we're to be watchful, and we're to be thankful in prayer. These are the things that should guide our prayer life and a priority of prayer in the coming year. The second thing is the priority of the gospel. We see this in verses 3 and 4. We're back in chapter 4 now in our text for today. Verses 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of of Christ on account which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Here we see the priority of the gospel. The priority of the gospel. I think it's interesting, again, that what Paul doesn't ask for in this prayer. Um, what I would want, release from prison. I mean, this wasn't something that had never happened before. We remember in Acts when the prison doors, you know, the angel came and opened the prison doors. Paul prayed for deliverance in other places. Uh, I don't think this was a comfortable prison. This wasn't a holiday in prison. I think it was a difficult place to be. What is Paul's priority? Pray that God would give me the words to speak The God. Here he is in chains. It's not like he's going on a mission trip. Pray that God gives me the words. Pray that God gives me the words to the people that are next to me, to the guards, to whoever comes across my path. This is where priorities of Paul were, and this is where our priorities need to be, Christ's kingdom having come to earth. He describes the gospel in two ways here, one as the word and one as the mystery of Christ. The word focuses on declaration. The gospel is, in essence, good news. It's good news that needs to be declared. It's truth that needs to be stated. The gospel... Uh, is to be shared. Uh, This is something, of course, that we've thought about a lot in the recent Advent season. Uh, We've sung about a lot is the declaring of the good news. The angels came and declared the good news, right? So we see that in terms of the word. But the the word also is, um, in in the beginning of, of Colossians, Paul says that it's the word of truth, right? There's this guiding idea that truth is being spoken, and truth needs to be stated—the reality of our standing before God. What we've already looked at—that we've been reconciled to God in Christ. This is what Paul's wanting to proclaim. So, help me to be clear. Help me to to, to state truth clear clearly. But also this mystery of Christ, he calls it—the mystery of Christ. And what this focuses on, he he elaborates more in Ephesians, where he uses the same phrase, is the idea that for these Jewish believers who had the, who, these were Jewish background believers who had no idea what God was up to in bringing these new Gentiles into the fold. You know, they didn't have to do all the same things we did. They didn't have to jump through the same hoops we did. They don't have the same pedigree we do. They couldn't understand it. It was a mystery. But there was also a sense of mystery for the Gentiles. None of their gods would have put on flesh, would have condescended and come to earth in the form of man, and would have laid their lives down willingly for the sake of someone else. This is the great mystery to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul is saying, pray, pray that I can make it clear. But the gospel is more than just an announcement. It's more than just a mystery. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1.16 says. And ultimately, the gospel, if we distill it down, the gospel is a person. The gospel is Jesus. And this is what Paul's praying. Let me make Jesus clear. Let me magnify Jesus. Let me show these people around me who Jesus is according to truth, both speaking truth in the Word and also the mystery and the glory of Christ. The gospel isn't simply, it's not a religion. It's not a set of rules. It's not not just a creed, a belief system. It's not a self-help system. The gospel is Jesus saves. Jesus came to earth. He put on flesh. He fulfilled the law. He died in our place. He conquered sin and death. This was what Paul was saying, pray for. Pray that I will make this clear. This was why he was in chains. Pray that the gospel be cl- declared clearly and understandably to whoever the Lord puts around me. And this is the priority of the gospel for us, that we consider who the Lord has put around us and what opportunities that he's given us that we can live out the gospel and flesh it out. How does God typically do this? If we were to tell our testimonies, if we were to share how we came to faith, it was most of the the common denominators for all of us would be people speaking words and doing actions, right? I mean, that's typically... Someone might have a more miraculous story, but typically, generally... That's how God works, and that's what we see the third priority is in verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, Paul writes in verse 5, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul exhorts the Colossians in two ways, words or actions first and then words, and and he modifies these two things, wise actions and gracious words. I don't think the distinction is is necessarily important that, that... only actions need to be wise and only words need to be gracious, I think we can equally say our actions need to be gracious and our words need to be wise. The emphasis and the point that I'm making is it's not on our words and our actions. It's rather on grace and wisdom. That's where the emphasis is. It's on being wise and being gracious. The descriptions of, of, of wisdom and graciousness uh, can be applied to the fruit of the Spirit. If the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives, we will be gracious and wise. So the, the point, I think, that, that we see in is that this is not about us getting it right. It's not about us figuring out what actions to take and what words to say and how to phrase everything correctly. But it's us walking in faith, dependent on the Spirit, knowing that He will give us the opportunities, that He will give us the words to speak, that he will guide us in the power of the Spirit. Walking wisely, though, does become winsome for unbelievers. He said, walk this way toward outsiders. Be this way toward outsiders. So it becomes winsome to those who are outside the faith. It becomes attractive. People are attracted to this kind of gracious and wise living. In the beginning of his letter, in verse 9, Paul prays that the Colossians would know truth. And here, or no wisdom rather, and here he instructs them to walk in wisdom or to act wisely. Um, I don't have time to unpack all of this, but I would say, and I hope that you'll either agree with me or take my word for it, and we can talk about it later, but I would say that a hallmark of a wise person is humility. A hallmark of a wise person is humility. In other words, a wise person knows they don't have it all together, that they're a sinner, A wise person knows they don't have, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. So, you know, apart from coming to realize who God is as a holy God, recognizing that I'm a fallen sinner, you can't walk in wisdom without that basic truth. So a wise person is humble. They know they don't have it all together. They know they're a sinner. They know they don't have the power in and of themselves to do this. They have to rest in and cling to Christ to live wisely. And this is where I think Paul's emphasis is. Again, not on our power, not on our getting it right, not on our being wise and gracious in our own strength, but on us being wise and gracious in the strength of the Spirit. One commentator wrote, It's as if the apostle were saying, Behave wisely toward outsiders, always bearing in mind that though few men read the sacred scrolls, all men read you. Though few men read the sacred scrolls, all men read you. Um, our, Our best apologetic, is our life Amen. our best apologetic is how we live out our faith and then we come to this phrase in the in, in verse uh, 5 making the best use of the time this is where the the our, our sermon title came from uh, we've already talked about how it's its marketplace language talked about buying up uh, something at a good price this is the idea of how we treat our time do we live this way do we live with this urgency do we live with this priority um, you may think Matthew 13, the, the parable of the great treasure, the pearl of great price. Jesus told these stories to, to communicate this same idea, this same sense of priority. So there's an urgency to how we live. Do we live with purpose? Do we live with this priority? And, of course, we can look at how you know, our conversations, our time, our energy, our resources, how we use our freedom, how we use our gifts and skills. I think this is probably one of the greatest challenges in front of the, the American church to this at, at this point in history, is how are we going to use the, the freedom, the resources, the gifts and skills that God's given us for Christ's kingdom around the world. We're at a critical time in history where we have uh, opportunities through technology, through travel, uh, to make great impacts by using what God's given us and what he's entrusted to us. We have to ask him, what are our priorities? And then as he, he closes this, he says uh, that our speech would uh, be guided by grace. So we talked about wisdom, graciousness. Um, I would say the same thing. A hallmark of a gracious person is humility. A hallmark of a gracious person is humility. They know they don't have it all together. They know they're a sinner. They know they don't have the power in and of themselves to get it right, right. They're humble. They're dependent on the Holy Spirit. The mark of a gracious person is humility. So gracious speech, what does it look like? Well, gracious speech is loving, it's considering the needs of others, it's kind, it doesn't condescend, it's gentle, it's not harsh, it's peaceable, it doesn't stir up strife. Do you follow the pattern here? It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Loving, gracious words, or gracious words rather, are these things. The fruit of the Spirit can guide us in how we speak. The fruit of the Spirit is not about us trying harder and figuring it all out. It's the fruit of God's Spirit within us of us walking in faith, looking to Christ alone to empower us and to guide us. And then he said, seasoned with salt, and knowing how to answer each person. And there's a lot more that we could say about both of these things, but let me just say two simple things. One is it's not about, gracious words are not about memorized lines, uh, about um, cliches, about repeating the right things, right? Gracious speech is that which is deeply dependent on the Spirit within us. And knowing how to answer each person. Knowing how to answer each person. You know, Paul is saying, pray that, for, that I can declare the gospel, the truth, and the mystery. And we talked about how the, 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 the truth linked to the, or rather the word is linked to the truth. Right? We have to know God's word. We don't discard that. God's word is what it guides us in what we say and so forth. Uh, and sometimes it is quoting God's word. Sometimes it is sharing a verse with someone. But a lot of times in our conversations, it isn't just doing those things, but it's knowing when to listen, knowing when to speak, knowing what to say. And this is not dependent on ourselves, but on God's spirit in us. Okay, so in wrapping things up, how do we consider uh, these priorities in our own lives? In this coming year, uh, we talked about the priority of prayer, prayer, the gospel, and wisdom and grace. Um, let's, Let's consider how it all fits together. I don't think Paul was just tacking these things on at the end of his letter. I don't think this is just a segment of a few random thoughts that he thought he would stick in there. Hopefully, what we've seen as we've referenced back to other parts of the letter is how these thoughts were woven throughout the letter, and these concluding remarks before he signs off are where he really wants to put the emphasis to this young church as they read this letter. The real priority that emerges is not a three-step plan. It's not It's not us leading going, okay, priority of prayer, priority of gospel, priority of wisdom and grace. We got those three things. Let's go do it, right? The priority isn't in in knowing what the plan is. The priority that Paul puts forth and the priority that I hold out to you today is the person of Christ. The person of Christ. You know, let's not miss the mark and think that we need a three-step plan to live our lives. What we need is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we need to look to Him in faith and trust Him in faith so that we can be strengthened and steadfast in prayer, so that we can proclaim the gospel and know how to speak clearly, so that we can walk in wisdom and grace toward outsiders, that they may be wooed to the glory of Christ. We need Jesus. So three things. It's Jesus through whom we pray. We talked about the priority of prayer. It is Jesus through whom we pray and by whom we have access to prayer. Hebrews 4 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And in John 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus is our means of prayer. Jesus is the gospel personified. We talked about the priority of the gospel. Jesus is the gospel personified. John 20, 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life through his name. 1 Timothy 1.15, the tr- saying is trustworthy and deserving of full ex- acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the f- foremost. Jesus is the gospel. And then finally, Jesus is all wisdom and all grace. 1 Corinthians 1.30, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord John 1 for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ Jesus is grace and wisdom so that's what I hold out to you today not a three-step plan uh, not a challenge to do better and try harder Uh, we do fight we do strive we do labor but we do it all in faith in Christ. And we look to him to empower us, to make us strong and steady in prayer. We look to him to give us the words to speak and the actions to live out, to know how to respond to those who he puts in our path, to give an answer for the reason of the hope within us. We look to Christ and he's who I hold up to you today. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would work in our hearts to cause us to see what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, as we look into this new year, there's no doubt that what weighs on us the most are things that are real and physical. And these are real things that weigh on us. Finances, health, jobs, uh, schooling. But Lord, would you help us to see through the lens of faith of what it means to trust in you Uh, in these things. To trust in Christ when the finances are good and when they're not. To trust in Christ when health is good and when it's not. Lord, would you fill us with your Spirit and cause us to see the glory of Christ. To cause us to rest in the power that is within us in the Holy Spirit. And to cause us to know that we have a future and a hope. What the Father has decreed that one day all things will be completed and consummated in the return of Christ. So, Lord, give us hope, give us peace, give us security in these things. In Jesus' name I pray.